Mark chapter 4, okay? I appreciate those who helped me get my truck running also. It was so good to, to, for it to finally start up and take off. Only took me a week or longer. Lisbon, no comments from you. Not only did Randy Queen sit at the back, I, I'm, I'm wondering what's happening. My wife's sitting at the back. And she doesn't do well at the back when she's sitting by Phyllis. Well, he would tell her to come forward. No. Some things are not worth the effort. A.K.A. fight. Mark 4, uh, verses 30 through 34. I want to look at small beginnings. Jesus is speaking. Notice what he says. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground is smaller than all the other seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables he spoke toward them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable he did not speak to them. And when they were alone he explained all things to his disciples. Let's pray. Father, uh, again we thank you for tonight. Just the privilege of being in your house, to, in your presence, to worship you. And Father, we thank you for that blessing that you are here with us. And to that end, lead us in your word and and in the wisdom that only you can give, uh, let your word uh, uh, touch our hearts. Let us have understanding. Let us apply it and grow from it. And most of all, let us obey it. And Father, uh, meet us at our greatest point of need tonight. We do pray for those that are sick and afflicted. I do pray for Vanus that you'll protect him watch over tomorrow during the surgery. And the others that are having surgery. And the others that are sick and afflicted with the flu, Lord. There, there are so many that just need a healing touch from you. Lead them safely back to us according to your will. And we'll praise your holy name because you are so good. And only you deserve our praises. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I can remember uh, sitting in uh, Dr. Istip's class. Dr. Istip was uh, a world famous scholar on Anabaptist history. The Anabaptists uh, were called Anabaptists because they were against infant baptism. They were a direct uh, uh, forefathers of most of the modern-day Baptists. They held the Scripture to be Scripture, saved by faith alone. But they absolutely said you could not be baptized scripturally if you were baptized as an infant. Because of that, many were put to death. Many were burned at the stake or drowned. Um, they ended up moving towards the new world to escape that persecution. The reason I, I mention him is because, to me, he was a remarkable fella. Uh, when I had him, he was almost 70. Uh, he was a world-renowned scholar. And yet, one day in class, he said, boys... I want to tell you how excited I am. We just planted a little church in downtown Fort Worth. And it's not much now, but we have hopes that it will be. And what was amazing to that about me was, not only he was a world-class scholar, no matter what he could talk about church history or Baptist history all day long and never miss a beat, he could also speak fluent Spanish. And he started 
him and another group of the seminary students with a, with a Hispanic pastor started a Hispanic church in, a, in, a, in the worst of areas and neighborhoods at that time in Fort Worth, Texas. And they had high hopes it would grow, and, and it did. It became one of the larger uh, Hispanic churches in Fort Worth, Texas. And, and many, many people were baptized because of that, because of that vision. And the reason that impressed me, he said, don't worry. We don't have to worry about it. We started it, but God's got it in his hands. And do we realize that God, in his power, grows his kingdom? God, in his power, grows his kingdom. Now, what you need to understand about this parable is this, that this parable, the main point is comparisons, okay? Uh, it's a contrast between the beginning and the consummation, between how the kingdom of God starts and what the end will be. Small beginnings, large results. It's, it's comparison and, and contrast is what Jesus is teaching us here, but he does that. In specific ways. First of all, notice in verses 30 and 31, God's church may uh, at times seem insignificant by worldly standards. Uh, right now, the world wants to ignore us. Right now, they want to say we're insignificant. Right now, they want to say we're irrelevant. But according to God's standards, that's not true. Remember, Jesus taught plainly of an upside-down kingdom where the first will be last, the last will be first, uh, the greatest is, is the one who serves. He's totally opposite of his day. But notice what he says in verses 30 and 31. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the other seeds uh, on the earth. And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. I want to define that for you. The kingdom of God, I think, is God's kingly rule in the hearts of men. All right? When Jesus came and died on that cross and rose from the dead, and men began to accept him uh, by faith, by grace, uh, God reigned in their hearts. And he said, the kingdom of God has come close to you because I am present and I am the king. All right? And so he, he wanted to see that that the disciples look at this small band and this loose fellowship they have, and they wonder, how is this ever going to work? And so he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. What shall we like it unto? And the disciples' trouble was that they were looking for something other than what God's kingly rule was in the hearts of mankind. They were looking for God to come back and God's Messiah to reestablish the kingdom of Jerusalem, the kingdom of the Jews, as it was under David and Solomon. They were looking for something great. They were looking for some cataclysmic event where the Messiah would use his power and throw off the Roman armies and defeat Rome and the Jews would be a worldwide power, once again, the greatest power. But they didn't understand the nature of the kingdom. If you don't believe that, if you read Mark chapter 10, verse 35, is where uh, they begin to ask Jesus uh, to sit at the right hand and the left hand. They still didn't get it about greatness. They still didn't get it about what the kingdom. Or even in Acts 1, 6, after he had risen from the dead, and he tells them, you know, uh, different things about what's going to happen to them when power is going to come in, in verse 8 there and what they're going to do. They said, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Will you restore the kingdom of the Jews to its proper place? And they just didn't get it, what he was meaning about it. 
they still look for something to be a little bit more drastic, something a little fancier, something more powerful, something big. And so Jesus begins to teach them and us, and he says, look, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. I think the, the, the proper terminology is synap- synapsis nigria, okay? And it, it's a, just a little black seed, not as big as a pinhead, all right? It's a mustard seed. Now, it's a little bit different than the mustard we have because they use the, the mustard plant for a lot of different things, okay? Oftentimes, they called it a tree because it would grow up to 15 feet tall. But they would use the leaves to eat. They would grind them up for medicine. They would use the seeds uh, for a condiment like we would use salt and pepper. they do all that to flavor their food. But you see, we need to understand where he's coming from when he did that. You see, in the wisdom literature of their day, the Hebrew rabbis, of which Jesus was a rabbi, just like Paul was, the mustard seed stood for that which was smallest. And so when Jesus says it's the smallest on the earth, it's because it was the smallest seed that the Jews knew. You understand that? And they had been introduced to that all their lives with the rabbis teaching that that the, the, the mustard seed stood for that which is smallest. And the kingdom of heaven is that which is smallest. It's, it's sown in the ground. It grows, like I said, to be really the largest herb of the garden. It was usually sown over near the edge of the garden because it grows so tall and, and so bushy uh, that it would take over a lot of sunlight. And so they didn't want it shading all their plants. And he says, look, this is how to... Um, picture God's kingdom small beginnings with great consummation you plant that little bitty seed and you get a 15 foot tall plant that branches out in all different ways and that's what we do the kingdom of God he says I compare it that way because of God's power God grows his kingdom as he sees fit God's kingdom may seem insignificant in the numbers when Jesus started it But it's not insignificant down through the ages. The thousands, the millions who have accepted Christ and followed Christ and spread the word about Christ down through the ages. You see, we need to understand that God's church is never insignificant. It doesn't matter if it's a little bitty church or a great big church. It's important to Jesus. And that's always encouraged me. And it's always why I have liked small churches. It's sort of like, and uh, uh, back when they used to have three-week revivals, and that's years and years ago. I did a one-week one, and don't ever want to do that again because uh, I preached uh, at lunchtime and at night for a solid seven days. And, and, and by the end of the week, I thought, I'm glad this is not two weeks because the pastor was saying, oh, I used to preach two-week ones. I said, you're more of a man than me. But anyway, <clears throat> this, this revival went on for three weeks in this town, about, about the size of Gasville, and one little boy was saved. And the members were just upset. It was just a failure. One kid saved out of three weeks. They didn't realize that that fella was George Blayrock. George Blayrock surrendered to preach as a young man. And right after college, he started pastoring a church. And he only pastored it for 10 years because he died after 10 years of pastoring the church. Okay, But you need to understand that for 10 years, there were a 1,000 people saved and baptized every year for 10 years in his church. That's 10,000 souls into the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, if my math is right. 
And what would have happened if that one little boy hadn't been saved during that three weeks? What if they hadn't had, what if the revival had gone a week or three days and he hadn't been saved? See, God knows by his power what's really successful and what's not. And, and when you look at our church, you may see things wrong with it. You may see things that need to happen. And you need to pray about that, not gripe about it. Pray about it. Everybody understands that, right? But we need to understand that the church belongs to God and it's his power that grows it. His power has kept it. His power will make it successful. And we need to understand that. Psalm 127 verse 1 says this. I said I'd say that that's what it said, but I didn't turn there. Psalm 127 verse 1. Basically what it says is this. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who would build it. It doesn't matter what programs you have. It doesn't matter how many good people you have. It doesn't matter anything. If God isn't in it, it's not going to grow. It's by his power that the church grows. Psalm 55 verse, verses 10 and 11 says this. For as the rain comes down from uh, the snow, rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there. But water the earth and make it bring forth a bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. God's kingdom, God's power, we need to understand, is unlimited. And God will grow the church. God will grow what he intends to happen. Zechariah 4, 6 says, tells the rubber rail, not by uh, might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay? We can keep going on uh, with other uh, scriptures. You need to understand that. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we are God's workmanship. And do we, do we really understand that? It says, for we are uh, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Apostle Paul, I think it's in the book of Philippians, said, I know and am persuaded or sure is the Greek word that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't throw up your hands about the church. Don't give up on the church. Don't think that it's a lost cause. You need to understand, yes, we have to obey God. And yes, we have to be uh, willing to do what he says to do. But the church belongs to God. And when you criticize the church, you're criticizing God. So I know I'm just criticizing those people that make up the church. No, the church belongs to God. His power will grow it. His power will dip it in the bud if it's not doing the right thing. All right? And we need to understand that. The second thing that I see here is not just that God's church can at times seem insignificant. It says that God works through the church to reach his world. God works through the church to reach his world. And drop down to verse 32. But when it is sown, speaking of the mustard seed, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. See, God works through the church. That's the way he's chosen to work. He's chosen to work through you and me, not the building. We're the church. He's chosen to work through us to reach the world. That's our mandate. He didn't say just go down the road a little bit. He said, you're going to all the earth. 
make disciples of them, baptize them, teaching them all things whatsoever I, I have taught you, and lo, I am with you always. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the amazing growth. Here's that little bitty seed, sign of a, size of a pinhead. The average size, I've already said, was 15 foot tall and almost that wide. Now think, you sow something that big, it's disproportionate. It's because God is at work, because that's the way God designed it. Okay? Now, the Jewish people often referred to that as a tree. All right? And you need to understand the meaning of birds. It says the birds of the air. A lot of times in the Old Testament, when it talks about the birds of the air, uh, it's talking about something evil, the evil of mankind, the evil kingdoms that are around. But see, even in the Old Testament, oftentimes birds came to one certain tree, and that represented God. And here, as they're calling this mustard seed, this herb, a tree, he's saying, look, the Gentile nations is what the birds are. That's you, that's me. And they come, and that mustard tree was big enough they could nest in it. They could make their home in it. He said, they're coming to God. And that's a picture of us being saved. It's a picture of the church, okay? These birds came to it. If you want those Old Testament references, look in Ezekiel and Daniel for that. You see, I think what it's really talking about, and that we need to remember, is the missionary enterprise of God that he's always had on his mind. Because when he... Talk to Abraham. He said, you don't just be a blessing to your race. You're going to be a blessing to all the world. All the peoples of the world. And let's just be real blunt. There's going to be some folks when they get to heaven are going to be really upset. Because they're real prejudiced. And they they vocalize that. And they think Jesus is blonde haired and blue eyed. Jesus was Jewish. He's dark-skinned, dark hair. Now, what's he going to look like in heaven? God, shining. Okay? But you need to understand something. Every race, every tongue, every color, every description are going to be there singing his praises. They're not going to be any prejudice in heaven. That's why Paul said God is not not a respecter of, or Peter said God is not a respecter of persons. All right? He's involved in the missionary enterprise. That's why one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is 2 Peter 3 9. So when all the scoffers are telling us that it's always the same, y'all always preach about God coming back. He hasn't come back yet, everything remains the same. They forget about the flood and how that, because they want to say it didn't happen. But then he says, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men consider slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's not universalism. I know and you know they're not all going to repent. But that doesn't mean God doesn't offer. That doesn't mean that God didn't make a way. That doesn't mean that God in his heart of hearts doesn't desire for them to come. His missionary enterprise is you and me telling others, going into all the world. The kingdom is about his power. The kingdom is about what he can do. And you see, we need to realize what God wants to do with us in the local church and also what God wants to do for us around the world. You say, well, I may never go around the world. When you tithe, your work goes around the world. 
because it's a cooperative program. We support almost 4,000, a little more than that, full-time missionaries around the world. Well, I can't speak that. The missionaries can. Okay, It, 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 it goes to our nation. You help start churches where there hadn't been churches before in our northern cities out west where they really need it also. Uh, you help in the state level with, with the prison chaplaincy and, and the boy, it used to be the boys' ranch. What are they going to call that over there now since they got girls? Just the Baptist ranch? Okay. So the Baptist ranch over there. You've got the children's home in Monticello. You have receiving homes for battered women and children in six different sites. Fort Smith, Jonesboro, over east, down south. can't remember those towns. That's why I said that. But I know they're there. For them to find safety. And you, as you give your money and your time and your prayers, support that work. You have a stake in that. You have a stake in feeding. They've closed the Hope Migrant Mission Center, except that they pass out food down there now. You pass out food locally. Through right over here on the threshold. Do I need to keep going? It's a missionary enterprise we're involved in. The baby bottles your way to help those women who need help and counseling and different things of that nature. Try to help them not have an abortion. So that a baby has a chance to be adopted. Is that rain? <laughs> Praise God. See? God grows his church numerically and God grows his church spiritually, but it's all up to God. We just have to be available to do our part. So the next time you're disgusted with the church or down on the church or displeased with the church or depressed about the church, remember, what should we like in the kingdom of God? It starts as small and it grows disproportionately. He's going to see it through. Well, you don't know what they're doing. God knows what they're doing. Didn't he tell the churches of the Revelation what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong? And called them to repent? He's the one that says, I'll take your candlestick. Not me and you. Him. So what do we do with a sermon like this? Maybe you need to recommit today to praying for your church. You know, our church has been attacked on every side. Every family has had problems. Maybe that's just life, but I have a feeling it's because the more we try to do what we're supposed to do, the more the devil doesn't like it. And maybe we need to recommit to praying for one another or to telling others about Jesus. Maybe you haven't joined the church and this is where God wants you to put your life and work. Maybe there's other decisions that need to be made. Maybe you haven't accepted Christ and you need to do that tonight. I don't know, but God does. Maybe you just want this week to thank God, find something to thank God about the church he's led you to. Because I found out when I start counting my blessings and my thankful, it changes my attitude towards all things. And Elizabeth says, keep on keeping on. You've got a long way to go. And I do. So, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to stand. And you come and do what God wants you to do. Father God, we're so thankful that you're here with us. We're so thankful for your word, for the parables. Lord, how you speak about it. 
How we can trust you to accomplish what you want to accomplish. You can do things we cannot because your word tells us with God all things are possible. And so, Father, have your way with us. Have your will with us. The prayer concerns that might have been voiced that people are doubting that they can get help. Let them know you're going to help. And, Father, you just speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.